Hey, we are going to start a new series today, actually a five-week series on generous life. Now, I know churches get a bad rap sometimes about how we preach about money all the time. And so I asked Pastor Derek this morning, because he's been with us uh, since the church launched 12 years ago. I said, hey, when's the last time we preached a series on generosity? He said, I don't think we ever have. And his memory is way better than mine. So we've never actually preached a sermon series. So I want to, first of all, apologize to you that we don't preach enough about money and about generosity and about our hearts and how they're connected to God. But hopefully uh, today, this will be an encouragement to you. Uh, It will open our eyes and our hearts to what God wants from us. And we will be able to see uh, how God wants us to be very generous people. And today we're going to talk about being generously blessed. First, I think it's important for us to know that we are blessed. God has been incredibly generous toward us. And that certainly causes us to want to be generous to others. I was looking this week for some uh, statistics that would help you to see how blessed we are. Man, it's hard to find. I'm really shocked as you begin to look for uh, uh, statistics on America's finances compared to the rest of the world's, almost all of the places that I went to were all about opinions. They were opinion polls. They were what other countries think about us, what we think about others, whatever. And there's very few uh, that really talk about money in itself and how generous God has been to our nation and to us as a people. But I want us to see, I did find from the Pew Research Center, some statistics. And so let me take you through those very quickly. You may not be able to read these things, but you can see the chart and the colors. The blue actually is representative of the rest of the world. And the kind of burgundy color, the red color, is the United States. And this is a percentage of 100% divided up. Okay, and there's five different categories. The first category is those who are considered to be poor in the world. They live on less than $2 a day. Less than $2 a day. That means they have an annual income of $730 or less. And you can see there that by the, in the world, 15% of the world live at that poverty level. Only 2% of the United States lives at that level. The next group are those who are considered still low, lower class. Uh, they make between $2 and $10 a day, which means their maximum annual income is $3,650. Now, in the world, 56% of the world's population live at the place where they make between $730 and $3,650. Only 3% of Americans do. The next section is those who are considered to be uh, middle class. Uh, 13% of the world, that's $10 to $20 a day, or an annual income of $3,650 up to $7,300. That's that third set. And in the, in the world, 13% of the world lives there, while only 7% of the United States lives there. So if you think about it, up to this point, up to that level, I didn't figure this up ahead of time, uh, 84% of the world, 84% of the world lives on $20 or less a day, while only 12% of Americans do. The next category is those considered to be upper middle class which are by the world standards, which is 20 to $50 a day or up to an annual income of $18,250 
annual income of $18,000. 9% of the world lives there, while 32% of the United States lives there. And then when it, becomes, when it comes to the extremely wealthy in the world, those are people who make $50 or more a day. That means an annual income above $18,250. 7% of the world lives there, while 56% of the, of the United States live there. And the majority of those making that amount of money are in the suburbs and the technical parts of the country. We are indeed generously blessed. Now, if you feel like, man, I just can't afford that car that I want. I, you know, I've got a, a car that's got some trouble with it and I can't afford to get it fixed or I can't afford to go to that restaurant I'd really like to. Folks, these are first world problems, major first world problems. We are an incredibly blessed and wealthy nation. And where we live, in even regards to our nation, the majority of the people in this room are far above that breaking point of $18,250 for an annual income. We are incredibly, incredibly blessed so the question I want us to think about today is this. What is our responsibility in the world because we're generously blessed? Do those who are in that category of $2 or less a day that make less than $730 a year, do they have any responsibility to the world, perhaps? We can say that philosophically and theologically, they, they do have some responsibility. But how much more, how much more are those who are on the far wealthy of the world stage. And you may not consider yourself wealthy as an American, and you may not be. But when it comes to the world, I have been to Haiti. I have been to Puerto Rico. I have been to Sao Paulo, Brazil, and seen what they call Box City, where for as far as your eyes can see are just cardboard houses. And the really wealthy ones have a piece of tin, rusty tin, on their roof. Folks, we are incredibly blessed. We need to get that. We need to understand that because if we don't understand that, we're not going to really clearly understand our responsibility in the world. Our key passage for this entire five weeks is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. And we're going to really focus on it today. We'll probably look at it, at least read through it the rest of the four weeks. But today we're going to really look at it. Let's read it together in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Here's what it says. It says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You know, when it comes to Giving, giving and receiving really go hand in hand. This is a biblical principle. And we see it back in verse 6. Remember what it said? The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Giving and receiving, giving and receiving, giving and receiving go hand in hand. We cannot separate them. We just can't separate them, folks. 
You know, we're only able to give what God has already given to us. That's the reality. We can receive without giving, but we can't possibly give without receiving first. But the reality is, God has been very gracious to us. God has given us a great deal. While we still have this conversation anywhere else in the world, it takes on a different application. It takes on a different thought process here in the United States and especially in the suburbs. We are the most blessed people in the world. That is a fact. And I would, I would guess that the majority of people in this room right now are in the highest 1% of earners in the entire world. Did you know you were rich? Did you know how wealthy you were? I hope that's good news for you. We are the most gener- generous, or we are the most blessed people in the world. Will we be the most generous people in the world? That's really the question. If giving and receiving go hand in hand, shouldn't we, who have been the, the largest receivers, become the largest givers? We have to decide how we're going to manage what it is that God has given us. And I want to give you a a word picture that will maybe help. You're going to have to decide today, are you going to live as a hose or as a sponge? You have to be one of them, folks. Think about it for a minute. When it comes to water, a hose is a conduit. It's like living with an open hand. It allows God's blessings to come through it so that we are ready to receive more. Now think about that. When you have a hose in the summertime hooked up to your house and you've got it uh, hooked up to the house and you leave it hooked up, if uh, you're one of those people that doesn't drain the water out and you leave the water in it, it just sits there, right? It can't even receive any more blessing. It can't even receive any more water until you do what? You push out what's in it. As soon as you give it away, it can receive more. And there's this constant, with the hose, there's this constant process of receiving and giving, receiving and giving, receiving and giving. But a sponge is a hoarder of liquid. It's kind of like living with a closed fist. It soaks up as much of God's blessing as it possibly can. And eventually, it's completely saturated. And unless you squeeze it, it gets to the place where it's unable to receive any more because it's not giving anything away. So if you think about this word picture, and I know no, no analogy is perfect, but if you think about this word picture, are you going to be a hose that takes God's blessing and you're a conduit for giving it to others, for blessing others with it so that he can bless you more and just be this constant conduit? Or are you going to be a sponge that soaks up what God has given and then sits there soaking wet and can't take on any more of God's blessing? We have to decide this. We have to make a decision. Are we a host? Or are we a sponge? We'll get back to that in a few minutes. I want you to also see in this passage that giving is a reflection of the heart. Now, we mentioned this last week when we talked about the 3G campaign because we can't ever really talk about being a generous person 
without talking about our hearts. Look back at verse 9. It said, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We see in verse 7, folks, that the way we give is as important or perhaps even more important than what we give. Do you, do you see any mention of a percentage here? You see any mention here of a dollar value or even any other kind of monetary value? No. What we see is a heart. What we see is that the way we give is more important than what we give. And our heart is the decision maker. It says specifically, don't give reluctantly. Okay, okay, you guys have bugged me enough. I'll give up. I'll put some money in the plate. I guess I'll be generous. Don't give out a compulsion. Please just stop harassing me. I will finally give. Please shut up. It says be happy about giving. Be happy about giving. Woohoo! I get to give to the Lord today. Now, i got to tell you, one of the greatest things about being a grandparent is Christmas. Because my grandsons have no idea what anything costs. I mean, they, they think they've won the lottery. You know, we spend, you know, uh, I'm not even going to say any number. We spend some money on them and get them several gifts. And they open them. And they've got this big stack of stash there. And they think they have just, like, won the lottery. It's incredible. And they love it. But you know what? I almost think I love it more. I, I really do. I love it. When they open that and they're excited, and they go, look, Papa, what I got? I'm like, yeah, I know, I bought it. You know, you know? I, man, I just feel great. Now, I love them. But I love God more. And I know he's not here. I know he's not here to sit here. And when I put my offering in the plate, he doesn't go, man, thank you, Michael, that's awesome, look what I got. I know he doesn't do that, but it, it makes me feel good. As a giver, as a generous person, it, it, it should affect us, folks. I like doing it. We shouldn't, we shouldn't look at the offering that we received during the worship time and think of it as a it's just a way to pay the bills or whatever. You know, we, there are churches, and I'm not saying this is bad, so don't, don't misquote me. There are churches that put a box somewhere and say, hey, you know, give your offering here. We're not going to take up time in the service to do that. We do it specifically in the service because it's an act of worship. It's an act of worship. And I know some of you uh, young folks, you know, you do it online and it comes out automatically and all that kind of thing, and I'm glad that works for you. But there's something for me about watching that envelope go into the plate that's just cool in my spirit. It makes me feel good and happy to give to the Lord and to his kingdom. But we should be happy about giving. And so when you're at home and you're doing it online and you click the send button, you should just know God's going, woohoo, thank you. All right? That, you should think that way because that's really what's happening. Now, God has created this unique system where we can tangibly see his blessing. And then he gives us this tangible way to give back to him. I mean, he invented this, folks. This came from nothing. And it represents that we recognize everything comes from God. It represents that we acknowledge he wants me to manage it well. 
I want to show him how much I love him and how much I love others. And I'm happy. I'm happy about being able to give back to him. This is not a new idea, by the way, giving being a reflection of the heart. It's not some newfangled, made-up thing. Let me show you just some verses in the book of Exodus that will show you how giving is connected to the heart. In verse, uh, chapter 25, verse 2 of Exodus, it says, uh, Speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. Look at verse, uh, chapter 35, verse 5. It says, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze. Look at chapter 35, verse 21. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. You see, uh, being generous has been something that comes from the heart forever, forever. Look at Genesis chapter 4, verses 2 through 8, and I want you to see here uh, how important it is for the heart to be connected to generosity, to being a generous person, to being a giver. This is a story about Cain and Abel, uh, Adam and Eve's sons. It says, uh, uh, now and again, she bore his brother Abel, now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Now you might ask, what was wrong with Cain's offering? He gave. He gave one, right? He gave an offering. Now, some theologians uh, would say that it's because it wasn't a blood offering uh, like Abel's was, but I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that understanding. They didn't have any understanding of that at this time. This was before the law and before the prophecies of Christ had been given. They didn't have any connection of blood to Christ. But if you look carefully at the passage, it talks about uh, Cain's offering, and it said, in the course of time. And what it really implies was, when he eventually got around to it, when, when Cain basically had nothing else to do, when it wasn't a high priority for him, but when he got around to it, he finally gave an offering, that's what it says. It was something, but there's certainly no descriptor there of, of suggesting that it was his best. It wasn't his first fruits, but Abel brought the firstborn and the fat portions, his first and best. That's, see how, when we talk about how the first and best is connected to what God has done for us in Jesus, 
But this has been God's plan all along. Abel's offering, being his first and best, was pleasing to God. God has now given us his first and best through Jesus Christ, his son, who came and died on the cross to pay for our sins so that by faith we can have our sins forgiven and know God. God actually rejected Cain's offering. Did you see that? He rejected his offering. I wonder if we ever think about whether or not God rejects our offering. Now, I know you probably think, well, churches never not cash my check. Uh, okay, I understand that. But it's not us you should worry about. It's really whether or not we please God. And by the way, in this whole discussion of the heart, I don't even want to mention Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. If you want to go back and read what happened to them, because they lied about their offering, they both died in the church while they were testifying, and the men carried their bodies out. Folks, here's the the bottom line. Giving is a reflection of our heart. There's just no getting around it. it. It's kind of the difference in a man saying he loves a woman and actually acting in love towards her. Oh, anybody can say it, but it takes guts and determination to do it. We all come to church and say that we love God and He's our number one priority and His kingdom is the most important thing to us. Does our giving reflect that? You're receiving your giving statements today, so before you leave today, be sure and pick up your giving statement on the way out if you haven't already picked it up. You decide. Open that thing up and you decide, is God really your number one priority? It doesn't mean that you have to give him 51% or more of your income. It's just a matter of your heart, folks. Take a look at your giving statement. Does it reflect that your heart really loves him? Does it reflect that your heart really is concerned about him and his kingdom? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty here. I don't, listen, I don't want you to feel guilty. Okay, that's a, I mean, I, that is exactly what I don't want to do. I want you to be pleased and joyful about your own generosity. I want you to get to the place where you open that statement up. Here's mine. Where you open that statement up and you go, wow, I'm really, I'm really excited about this. I'm, I'm excited about doing this. I'm pleased. I'm not bragging, but I want to go, look, God, I I do love you. I really do. I'm not just saying it. That's what I want for you. I don't want you to be, you know, feel some deep compulsion or some kind of arm twisting or some kind of uh, guilt that we're putting on you to give. I want you to be happy when you open that up and you know God's looking at it. I want you to feel good about your generosity. The last thing I want you to see in this passage is this. Giving is the path of blessing. Giving is the path of blessing. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. 
It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, can we get the word all in there any more times? You may abound in every good work. Now, if you saw this verse in, in uh, isolation, you might think that it's saying God is able to make all grace, but God is giving us his love so that we have all sufficiency of love in all things at all times so that we can abound in every good work. In other words, God's given us his grace and his mercy and he show, uh, showered that upon us so that we can uh, do good works for everybody else. In isolation, you might think it says that. But that's not what it says. In context of this passage, it's talking about giving. It's talking about generosity. And God is able to make all grace. That's financial grace right there. To to read it any other way is to take that verse out of its context and say, I'm going to give it new meaning here in isolation. We know that that's not the right way to read God's word. It's cash money, folks. He's not changing the topic here right in midstream of the thought. What God's saying here is, I'm able to give you as much as you need in order for you to bless others, abound in every good work. Listen, you want to abound in good works? I have enough money to give you what you need in every situation, in every place you are, so that you'll be able to abound in every good work and do everything I want you to do. He'll give you what you need in order to be a conduit to blessing others. Is it possible that perhaps we aren't receiving more because we're more of a sponge than a hose? Now listen carefully, folks. This is not prosperity theology. Okay? Prosperity theology is heresy. And it says that financial blessing and physical health are always the will of God and you can unlock his extravagant financial blessings by faith, positive thinking, and extravagant giving. That's a lie. I'm not saying that because the Bible doesn't say that. But there is a principle of sowing and reaping. There's no principle anywhere in the Bible that says, if you become a hoarder, I will just give you more stuff to hoard. It's not there. It says, listen, if you'll sow, God will allow you to reap. If you give more, God will allow you to get. If you give more, God will allow you to get. There's this biblical principle of being faithful with little and then being trusted with more. And every one of us practices that. If you have children, you practice that. Nobody, well, nobody in their right mind just says, hey, we're not going to give you any training, no testing, no anything. Uh, Just when you turn 16, we're going to give you the keys to a brand new car and let you go nuts. It's yours. Go. And if I just insulted you because you did that, come talk to me. We'll we'll, We'll work it out. Okay? What do we do? We let them drive to the store and back with us. Then we let them do it by themselves. Then we get them go a little bit further. Then we finally allow them to go out on a Friday night with their friends. And we give them a little bit of responsibility. And guess what? Every time that we see we can trust them, what do we do? We give them more. We do that 
You do that in your work with employees. If you have people that work for you, you do the same thing with your employees. Folks, this is a universal principle. God just made it work in every area of life in the entire universe, and he does it with us too. And he says, I'm going to give you something, Michael, and if you handle it well, you manage it well, I'm going to trust you to handle more. I'm going to trust you to handle more. Folks, this is just a biblical principle. The, the principle of the hose is biblical, but that does not mean that the more generous you are, the more you'll get to hoard. That's not what it's saying. It's simply the principle, folks, that much more will travel through the hose if we're willing to give it away on the other end. In this analogy... The hose never gets larger. It just only has more water travel through it faster. So it's not a matter of us hoarding stuff and being wealthy and richer. It's a matter of us blessing people more. Now, over the next five weeks, we're going to define five types of givers that we can look at as kind of milestones in order to try and grow our generosity. Okay? We want you to just, we just want to start talking in these terms. Uh, the first one is a beginning giver. If that's too small, I'll, I'll tell you. That's a beginning giver. If you've never given before, try it. See if you'll still have enough money to eat lunch this week and pay your bills. I'll bet you will. I'll bet you will. Physical health starts with one exercise. So I've heard. Guess what, folks? Generous health starts with one gift. If you've never given anything to anybody, do it. And then exercise, exercise your generous health. From the beginning giver, we move to being a consistent giver. This is a person who has figured out how to give in some kind of a reliable manner. They give consistently, maybe once a month, maybe once a week, whatever consistent is to them, and proportionately. I make this much, maybe I'm going to give, maybe I'm going to start giving, you know, I've been throwing kind of my leftover change in the plate, and we talked about that a little bit last week, maybe I'm going to start giving 1%. I mean, I mean, the city takes that much of your income, right? Kansas City earnings tax takes that much of your income. Maybe I'm going to give, maybe I'm going to love Jesus as much as I do Kansas City, and I'm going to give 1% because I've never done that. I'm going to do it every time I get paid. I'm just going to give 1%. That's, that's a, an example of a, somebody who's at least a consistent giver. Then there's a tithing giver. Now, this is a person who has seen the Old Testament mark of 10% of your gross income as a benchmark and is committed to giving that proportion on a consistent basis, which means every time I get paid, I see the gross income, I write a check for 10% and give it, okay? After the tithing giver, and we'll talk more about tithing and whether it's New Testament, Old Testament, all that kind of stuff. We'll talk about that more in this series. After that, we see an expanding giver. This is a person who gives beyond their tithe to the mission of the church and to others in need. Folks, once you've ordered your life this way and you see someone in need, you just, you just take care of it. You just do it. And maybe you can't take care of every need you see everywhere. But certainly you can bless people that you know are in trouble, who need help. You can bless their life. 
And then after being expanding giver, hopefully we can all grow eventually to an extravagant giver. This is a person who has figured out how to live on less and give away more. They are living a radically generous life. Radically generous life. Man, that would be awesome. I hope to get there someday. So think about what you want to be. When it comes to giving, what do you want to be? Do you want to be a hose? Or do you want to be a sponge? I hope today you decide it's time for me to take a step forward. It's time for me to grow in my generosity and stop being a sponge. I'm going to become a hose, bless others, and then allow God to bless me more. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you, first, God, for the blessing. We did nothing to be born here or to move here. We did nothing to earn your blessings, your mercy, your grace. You have been kind and generous to us, Father. Help us to understand how good you have been to us financially and spiritually. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for saving us. Thank you even more than how you've blessed us materially. Thank you for your mercy and your grace and your love that help us to connect to you. God, help us to see our responsibility as Christians and as wealthy people in the world to be generous. God, help me to become more generous. Help me to order my life in a way that will allow me to become even more generous. Father, we do pray that you will help all of us to be a conduit of your blessing to others. Help us not to just hoard your blessings and and just revel in them ourselves, but to be that conduit, to just bless other people, bless other people, bless other people. God, we know that you love us. We pray that you would use us to show your love to others through blessing them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.